used to think success was something you had to be superhuman to achieve. That the successful were different from the rest of us. That you had to be born better than a normal human to achieve anything. But the successful are more similar to you and me than we thought. They're just real people. So I go talk with them. I'm Dakota O'Neill, and this is Real with O'Neill. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Real with O'Neill. Today I'm joined with uh, Miriam, will you say your last name for me? Because I don't want to butcher it. Baldwin. Baldwin? All right, cool. I'm joined with Miriam Baldwin and Ashley Jackson Thompson. Or is it Thompson Jackson? It, Jackson's fine. Okay, Ashley Jackson. I'm sorry. But they are two caregivers who have written their own books and they work together to spread the message of self care and. Uh, self-love amongst uh caregivers thank you guys for being on the show thank you for having us all right so uh just tell me where did you guys start off like what what's the story behind ashley and Miriam? what got you guys into caregiving and where did all this uh advocacy start well it started a long time ago i met my husband back in 28 uh, sorry 1998 that's more than 20 years ago and he was a diabetic and he started suffering from kidney failure in 1999. And in 2003, he finally had a kidney pancreas transplant surgery. So during those years, I was working full-time caregiving, the groceries woman, the driver, the cook, the cleaner, everything. And I wasn't taking good care of myself and I burnt out. And it wasn't until a social worker asked me the question, in a hospital, Miriam, how are you doing? And that's when I broke. That's when they found out that I burned out because I cried like a child and I sobbed. And when I came home that day, I asked myself the question. I had to look in the mirror and I asked myself the question, Miriam, what are you gonna do for you? And I'm sorry to interrupt you, but for the audience who may not know, could you explain what burnout is? Burnout is, it's a um, great question, by the way. You know, burnout, I suffered from sleep deprivation, anxiety, stress, um, a lot of things that I didn't enjoy spending time um, for, you know, myself. And right. it's, it's a terrible place. You don't want, you, you don't want to go there. <laughs> it's a very dark place. So I suffered from, I suffered from burnout. And I had to teach myself how to love Miriam, how to do self-care, but it wasn't easy. It didn't happen overnight. It took me months. It took right. me a long time to teach myself the techniques and tools, how to love myself, how to take care of myself before I take care of someone else. And if that isn't all, that wasn't all, sorry, 2012, while I was at the office, I received a phone call from my husband, Martin. He, he called me and said, please call your brother. And I said, why? I'm at the office. He said, please call him. I'm driving to his apartment right now. So I called my brother and Dakota, I hung up within five seconds when mm. I heard my brother. He was having a stroke while mm. I had the phone. So I called the paramedics. Long story short, he was paralyzed on the right side of his body because of a severe stroke. 
and I became his caregiver as well. So mm. taking care of my husband and my brother, um, it was a huge task. Now, were you trained at this point? Like, had you have you had any experience working in the medical field, or have you ever been trained as a caregiver? So you were no. going with it. Yeah, I learned a lot <laughs> during a lot, um, but I also asked um, the medical professionals for help, and with this I mean, um, for instance, my husband he can walk with a pin in his foot without feeling anything because of mm. the diabetes. He suffers from neuropathy. And he had an ulcer, ulcer, is it the ulcer? Yeah, I think it's an ulcer, right? Under his foot. And uh, it was an inch deep. And I had to clean it oof. myself, yeah. So I learned a lot. That's just a small part of my story. Um, so that's how I became a caregiver. And you don't often hear the stories of the caregivers. You hear the stories of the patients. And that's why Ashley and I are on a mission to let the world know what caregivers go through. Oh, yeah, it's not easy having to, especially because, you know, you, you look at the kind of burnout just experienced by moms. And that's with a child that it makes sense that they can't take care of themselves. You're now working yes. with a whole adult and whether you you blame them or not in your mind you're like this is an adult i'm taking care of this is a whole different level of responsibility and a whole different level of communication that's capable there which means a lot more stress in a lot of ways yeah absolutely yeah. so uh you said you were working while you were doing this working a full-time job what were you doing i was working for the government oh, okay at that time. and um i was working uh, for um, a medical, I was also working for a medical staff, but it's the government. And I'm happy I was working with doctors as well, because they understood um, why I couldn't work for weeks, right. even though I felt guilty that I couldn't show up uh, at work. And they told me, no, 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 you don't, you, 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 you don't have to feel guilty, but it's so not easy. <laughs> to not feel guilty as a caregiver, you know? Um, um, so it took me quite some time to start with accepting Miriam, right. loving Miriam, taking care of myself, doing things I love, I enjoy. It wasn't easy. How do you even find time for something like that while you're working a full-time job and taking care of two people? Great question. I make time. I schedule a lot. So I am organized. And that's something I didn't do in the beginning. I didn't want to start with scheduling because I thought that it, that it would eat up too much of my time. That's what I thought. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought until I started scheduling. I even schedule my self-care moments, even if it's five minutes to do a breathing exercise. And I have learned to say no to others and to say yes to Miriam. That's and awesome. That's also something I had to learn. So why, would, why is learning how to say no important to, to self-care? Because I know there's a lot of people 
they buy into that image that, oh, the best way to make yourself feel better is to serve others. And as a caregiver, you know that that is sometimes true, but not always. Definitely, it's not always true. To give you an example, if Martin, my husband, asked me, Miriam, can you help me with this? And I have scheduled that time for myself. Mm-hmm. No. Why do I say no? I need to fill my cup. I need to breathe. I need to do something I enjoy. And I say no, unless it's life-threatening. Right. An right? emergency. In emergency. And that also goes for my brother and my friends, but I do expect them to do the same. So whenever I ask them, can you help me with this? And they have scheduled that time for themselves to do something they enjoy. They should say no, but I can help you another time or another day. So there's another option, right? Right. And that's totally fine. So when I do that, I can take time for myself I can breathe and if I breathe if I can breathe sorry I have ease I have relaxation so I'm a better caregiver right if I do that I can understand that for sure uh now are you still currently taking care of your husband and brother Yes, but not like before, because they can do a lot of things themselves now, thank, uh, thankfully, but they do need um, some help every now and then, especially my brother. Yeah. Uh, so uh, he just hasn't ever really fully recovered from the stroke? He um, started walking and talking again after a couple of months. Okay. Stroke. Um, but his right arm isn't functioning. He lives on his own, 20 miles away from us. Um, but he gets a lot of help from other family members, thankfully. Okay. Um, but he can do a lot of things on his own. But for instance, his finances, um, uh, medical stuff, uh, going to doctors, and etc. He, um, I support him. When oh, that's really awesome. Yeah. Uh, and then you have the book uh, self, or Caregiver 2.0, right? Yeah, Caregiver 2.0. You want, uh, how did that come about? Well, <laughs> last August, I started writing my book. I was talking to a friend and um, she lives in um, Ithaca, New York. And we had met each other online in 2019. And we tried to set a meet and greet date. Who's Miriam? Who's Sarah? And we finally had a conversation at the beginning of August last year. And she said, who's Miriam? And I told her my story. And I was so busy telling my story that I didn't pay any attention to the screen. And when I looked at the screen, I saw that she had tears in her eyes. And I said, oh my gosh. I'm so sorry. It wasn't my intention to make you cry. Maybe mm. I should write a book. And she said, well, that's exactly what I wanted to tell you. Why don't you write a book? Because you can help other people with your story by sharing your story. I said, nah, stop it. You're kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, no, I'm serious. And I would be honored because I'm a writing coach. And after two weeks, I started writing a book about my life, about my caregiver's journey, 
about the techniques and tools I used, about the questions I had to answer myself years ago. And so, that's how I so, wrote story. Sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I thought you had stopped. Uh, I was just going to ask you if you could give us just like one or two techniques and then one or two of the questions from the book. That way we can kind of get oh, an idea of what it's like. <laughs> one of the techniques, the most difficult, one of the difficult techniques I had to learn and work on was asking for help. Okay. Because I thought I could do it all by myself. And when people ask me, uh, Miriam, do you need help with anything? I said, no, I got it. So asking for help was, um, was a big no, because like I said before, um, I didn't want to ask for help. I thought that people would say, mm, she can't handle it. She's too weak. But now I understand that um, not asking for help was a sign of weakness. Right. So one of the questions I asked, I love that you asked this. Um, dear caregiver, have you ever thought of what's possible for you at this moment, like right now? Or are you afraid to believe in possibilities? Or are you stuck in impossibility? If so, how does that make you feel? Mm, that's beautiful. That's one of the questions. I do have a lot of questions for the reader. And my intention is that um, I want the reader to think about those questions. Some of the questions may, might, they might make you feel uncomfortable, but I know it's necessary sometimes to feel uncomfortable. I, I hear this quote pretty often nowadays. It's uh, everything that you want is outside your comfort zone or else you would have it already. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's good to ask the questions that make people a little uncomfortable to make them shift in their chair a little bit. Yeah. It's a very important part of life. Yeah. But it's been really awesome uh, getting to know you real quick. We definitely are going to dive deeper into your story because if it brings tears to people's eyes, I definitely want to hear it. But yeah. Let's hear a little bit about Ashley real quick, because she's been patiently waiting for so long. <laughs> Thank you. you well, doing? my name is Ashley Jackson, and I am a wife, caregiver, caregiver advocate, author, and business owner. And I started taking care of my husband, um, Troy, uh, Four years ago, um, in 2017, uh, we were just newly engaged. I mean, two and a half months <laughs> mm. when he got word that uh, he had a rare cancer that was already in stage four by the time he had been diagnosed. And we obviously weren't prepared for that. So, um, and, and we hadn't taken our vows yet either. So it was just really hard um, to, to hear all this news after being on such a high from being newly engaged to now, instead of planning an engagement party, um, I'm having to plan how and when 
um, to get him to and from his uh, treatments. Mm. Um, So many doctor's appointments. I mean, anybody listening that um, has been stricken with cancer yourself or a loved one, you know how involved everything um, can possibly be. And especially with his uh, cancer, uh, the rare placement of it, which was in his nasal cavity, it made it even scarier because he had a 35% chance of survival. Did it have and, a particular name, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, it's it was Squamous. And now, mind you, I'm not medically trained. It's Squamous Cell Carcinoma of the Nasal Cavity. Okay. And it's the placement of the tumor is what makes it so rare. Um, it was so rare. In fact, it took me like a whole day to do re- my own research because some things that the doctors and, and nurses that I asked, sometimes they didn't have all the answers. So I had to go to like the web right. <laughs> and try to find things because, because of the rarity of it. And, you know, I'm glad I did that, but at the same time, I'm not because the things I found were very scary and depressing. Well, you got to be careful with the, like the internet medical stuff. They'll, they'll give you a really severe diagnosis for next to nothing. And it kind of terrifies me. Like, uh, we went, my girlfriend, she's pregnant right now. And we recently went to the hospital oh. and I was asking them some questions. Thank you. Uh, that, uh, they, they kept telling me, what, do you look it up? And I was like, well, what else am I supposed to do? And they're like, never look anything up. And I was like, why? And they said, there's so much misinformation online. The top 20 results you see are not going to have a single fact in them. But uh, yeah, it, it, I mean, so did you eventually find a doctor who did know something about it? Or how did this go? So I feel like he's been one big giant experiment <laughs> because there's there's not been one doctor that's been able to pinpoint exact mm. exact um you know percentages or anything like that um you know what kept us going along was his overall health outside of having cancer was good um his, him being young cuz he was um 39 um yeah 39 when he was diagnosed Okay. Excuse me. He was 37. Oh my goodness. So many years. Mm. <laughs> he was 37 when he was <laughs> diagnosed. So, um, you know, that's what the doctors kept saying, you know, like he, you know, we have very high expectations of him to beat this because of his youth and outside of having cancer, his overall health is good. And, you know, so that's what we just kind of went along with. Like if the doctors are sure of themselves, despite the rarity of it, um, like what, what should we be worried about? You know? Um, But there were, there were times when, especially like his chemotherapy doctor, I, I know, I feel her presence. I know when we have a good visit or when we're going to have a bad visit because of how she enters the room. So, you know, just bracing myself for how she even enters the room when we have um, discussions with her, I'm like, Oh gosh, what house is going to go, you know? So those are the type of things like, because 
of me not being medically trained like Miriam, where we were kind of thrown into this overnight, um, which family caregivers, that's basically what happens unless, you know, you have someone that's born, um, you know, mentally or physically challenged, that's different. But for some family caregivers like us, it's a diagnosis or some illness has just gone off the tracks. So now it's like they need full-time care. And, uh, you know, I, I did everything. I, um, was the breadwinner cause he just couldn't work. He was too sick. Um, I had to take him back and forth. His, uh, hospital was an hour and a half one way. Um, so I had to cook, I had to clean, So there's so much that you have to do as a family caregiver that people don't really take into account. So like Miriam said, there's so much of a spotlight that shines on the person that's sick, which obviously they're sick. I mean, we we need people to, to hear their stories, but you rarely hear the story of the person that's taking care of that sick person the person's making sure that they stay alive as right. long as possible or make it through to the other side um, uh, of their illness and right. it's hard it's it's depressing at times I burnt out I call it burnout city and I don't like going there um, <laughs> and burnout can caregiver burnout can look different for each caregiver um, for me it manifested itself with um, depression. Um, I had stomach ulcers. I developed migraines. And I mean, there's a plethora of things like ga- gaining weight. There's so much thing, <laughs> all the things that that happens in, in caregiver burnout. And when I was presented with, you know, the knowledge of like something about you has changed um, from my husband, and my mom, that's when I was like, oh, well, I thought I was doing good at hiding my burnout. I was right. good at hiding, you know, all the stress and anxiety I was under. I hate but to interrupt you. <laughs> Why do you feel like you had to hide it? And, and, then, and then I feel like this is an important question. Yeah, definitely. I felt like I had to hide it because caregivers can't be seen as weak because we're taking care of someone else. We um, are superhuman. We can't let anybody see us slipping, basically. And I I often worried, because we weren't married yet, I was worried about how I carried myself, um, taking care of my fiance. And if I couldn't do that, would his mom be upset with me? Would his brothers be upset with me? And then how would they look at me if I wanted to, you know, go ahead and marry him? Like, would they talk about me? Like, oh, she couldn't even take care of him before, you know? So all those thoughts, and they never thought that. They never said that. It was all in my head. It was all just those you trying to hold yourself down. Yeah. So uh, what did you, like, what did you start doing to pull yourself out of that? How, what was the way out for this? Um, I actually left. Um, I, my, my, um, he was still my fiance at the time and my mom, they both just said, maybe you need to go somewhere. 
and just be because I, I I do like to solo travel. So it was nothing new for me to pick up and go somewhere alone. So I did. And um, it was a beginning. I still stumbled along the way because of the environment that I was in um, with caregiving and such. Um, but it was a start to, okay, I need to really think about me. I need to think about myself because if I don't fill up my own cup, then I can't give to Troy. I, and no one is going to be able to take care of him like I do. So right. if something happens to me, or if I end up in the hospital, who's going to take care of him? Who's going to take him to his appointments? Who has the rapport with the doctors and the nurse team like I do? You know, what what you do is a very specialized and and customized type of thing because you you're you're adjusting to the routine, their medications, their mm-hmm. physical therapy, all of that. It's a very specialized, exactly. person specific type of thing. I understand what you're saying. So uh, you also, and uh, you, you have a business, Timeless Events? Or... Yes. So because of, uh, I just, my purpose came out of my pain with, um, I was also planning our wedding because he did not want to postpone. He didn't want to cancel our wedding. His thought, Troy's thought was, I am only getting this treatment so that we can get married because I finally got this girl to say yes to me. (laughs) I don't want (laughs) to let her go. (laughs) So I couldn't deny him that, right? So I was planning our wedding while taking him to treatments, working 40 hours a week, um, you know, all of the things. So um, my my purpose came out of my pain. So I... um, In the middle of the pandemic, I launched Timeless (laughs) Dream Events, and we help uh, terminally and chronically ill and their loved ones celebrate love and life, whether that's a shower, birthday, or wedding. Um, That's what we do. Also, advocating for caregivers and letting the world know what especially family caregivers go through, because we're not paid we don't get to the clock in and out Um, we are there 24 7 so (laughs) um and then after meeting Miriam in August of last year July August of last year um she was telling me she was writing a book about her caregiver journey and I had started a couple months before but I put it to the side because I just said, oh, I don't have time to do that or nobody wants to read it. Um, But with her encouragement, meeting her friend, her writing coach, I I just had this fire lit in my soul to complete this book. And I launched it on Father's Day weekend of this year. So June 18th, and it's called Lost Travel Found. And it's a love story to my late father who passed away 10 years ago. Um, actually, September 5th will be 10 years ago that he passed away suddenly. It's a love story to my husband. Um, but most importantly, it's also a love story to me. I found the love for me. And it's like my phoenix rising. 
so uh what is the actual book cover like what is the content of it is it a story of you traveling or yeah actually um so it's lost travel found and this picture here is actually of me after i had climbed with a group of girls from all over um two of them were from canada one was from portland oregon another from san francisco but we all climbed um this tall, very steep hill to go see a Buddha statue in Thailand. And one of the girls, she was an aspiring uh, photographer. And I didn't realize she had taken this picture of me. (laughs) (laughs) And um, I was just kind of overlooking the scenery after climbing all those stairs. And I was tired. (laughs) (laughs) So it's kind of funny when I explain it to people because it does look like I'm looking like I I, I'm looking and trying to find something in this picture and um I actually took this trip after my father had passed because I was lost so I'm I've broken the book up into different um sections here so lost is about losing my my father traveling to try to find the greater purpose in life and then um, my caregiving journey and finding my purpose in life. So lost travel found, turning pain into purpose. That's really beautiful. I like that a lot. Thank you. So uh, as far as y'all's caregiving experiences go, uh, how did you guys come to meet? Is there like a caregiving uh, group? Is there like some type of association y'all can get involved with? Or how did you guys cross paths to start doing this together? Facebook. (laughs) 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 Um, I I joke a lot. You can find anything and anybody on Facebook, it seems like. But um, yeah, when I launched my business in July, I also launched a caregiver support group on Facebook. And that's how Miriam found me. She joined my caregiving group. And as we kind of dive deeper into each other's lives, our, our caregiving stories, we realized like we're really scarily alike. It's really crazy. Even though she's in the Netherlands and I'm in the States, we're sisters. Like we had to be separated at birth or something because we are so much alike just in in life and our thought process and our passions. Yeah. Yeah. I was looking for a group and it's true. We have so many similarities, even our honeymoon. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's crazy, you know, but I was, I was looking for a group. I was looking for uh, other caregivers, you know, um, We are on different journeys, but the struggles are the same. So whenever you talk to someone who is not a caregiver and you explain what you're going through, they usually say, don't worry, you got this. But it's totally different when you talk to another caregiver, a fellow caregiver. Right. And when she and I started talking, we realized that we have so many things in common. even though, um, like I said, our journeys were not the same. Right. The same. And we decided that we wanted to let, we want to let the world know what caregivers go through. But we also want to let caregivers know that they are not alone and that we appreciate them for what they are doing. 
And my book was launched on June 10th, a couple of days before Ashley's uh, book, Lost Travel Found, which is a must read, by the way. <laughs> um, and it gives you such a great feeling knowing that by sharing your story, like we are doing right now via interviews or, or lives, um, that we are already helping people, both caregivers and non-caregivers. Right. Because burnout, it can overcome anyone. That's not true. Caregivers. Now, uh, y'all, you know, as far as y'all's journey and, and uh, the causes of burnout, like what was it that y'all went through? What was it that pushed y'all? Was it the the constant attention it required? The the mentality of oh i understand that you're going through something but you're an adult can you not do a few things for yourself like or is it just the the constant go of it the working a full-time job and taking care of somebody like what was it that really drained y'all you keep going and the reason why you keep going is because you feel like you need to keep going um, 95% of my time I spend on um, taking care of Martin, my husband. Um, you know, it, it was an awful feeling that you can, I couldn't help him when he was feeling so sick, throwing up. It's, it's you know, that's real life. Right. And, um, he had a lot of... Um, I think you call it hypos when his uh, blood sugar was too low and it usually happened during the night. So I didn't sleep because I was too afraid that he might get in a coma because it once mm -hmm. happened that I had to call the paramedics. His blood sugar was so low that the, the device couldn't give a number. Mm. So I had to call the paramedics. And that's very scary when you know that it can happen again. So you keep going and going and going and even taking a long hot shower. I couldn't enjoy that because he was downstairs. What if, what if something happens to him? What if the what if mm. that's killing fear is killing. So it adds up mm. until you burn out. So, so it's just I, the constant emotional drain and the stress yeah. of it. And you start not having any time to live as an individual. And okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That and does. I would also add, um, like there was resentment building. Mm -hmm. And when I had to take a step back and really think about it, was I actually like resenting my husband or was I just resenting the situation? And for me, it was the situation. It was his body. Like I, I figured out I was mad at his body. I wasn't mad at him. It's not like he said, oh, you can come into my body cancer. I don't mind. He didn't ask for it. Right. Right. So, um, it's, it's kind of, you're having to like walk as a family caregiver, you're having to like walk through this almost by yourself. 
especially like me at 31, when he was diagnosed, I didn't know any other 30 year olds having to go through this. Like I had to watch my friends travel, do all the things that I thought we were going to get to do. So you're having to navigate something by yourself. And that's what Miriam and I don't want our fellow caregivers to feel like they have to do because you're not alone. Right. Uh, is as far as y'all know, are there any resources as far as like training courses or like free college courses or anything like that to help people prepare for these types of situations? Or is it just you can ask questions to other medical staff as they come visit, but you're essentially not going to get any training? Well, as far as I know, here in the Netherlands, you, there are medical professionals who you can ask questions. Uh, I think there are general courses to prevent burnout. But, you know, caregivers burnout is something else. You know, it's, um, it's quite something to learn so- someone how to change your mindset when it comes to living in fear. Um, okay. Not knowing what will happen to your loved one. Right. Just Ashley, just like me, if my husband didn't get a transplant surgery within a year, he wouldn't have been here today. Right. It's very scary. Um, So here in the Netherlands, I know that there are general courses to prevent burnout. I know that anyone can ask medical professionals questions, just like I did. But... um, other than that right see like with what Miriam does caregiver 2.0 is not just her book but she also is a caregiver coach so that is something that if I would have even known about right <laughs> four years ago I wish I would have known a caregiver coach or what a caregiver coach is um because it you want someone that's walked through the fire to help you bring you out of the fire so something like uh, the the program that Miriam offers and she just offers a snippet of it within her book you know she has a six six week course online that she can help caregivers like her book, go from burnout to powerhouse. Okay. And because nurses and doctors literally cannot spend that much time with you. Um, so they're like, kind of like in and out. Like if you've ever noticed in, in the past couple of your doctor's appointments, like how quickly they move in and out is because they have to see like a hundred people a day. Right. And you know, I, I realized when I'm, when I look back and I, and when I was asking all these questions after his diagnosis, and I'm just like, why can't you take more time to, you know, tell me like, why can you not answer my questions? I have so many questions outside of what I have to do for him. Who's going to be there for me? Like they, they just didn't have all the time in the world to sit there and hold my hand, but in comes someone like Miriam who can and who will. And I think that's something that should be implemented more into hospital systems, something yeah. like her program. Okay. Yeah. And I'm so, you know, it's it's so important to know as a caregiver, okay, what's my next level? 
And it doesn't matter if your next level is, I want to take a 15 minute hot shower. I want to do 15 minutes of this or 30 minutes. It depends on what you want as a caregiver. How can I get there? You often hear, okay, you should do more self-care. Yes, that's true. But it's not only self-care that can help you go to the next level. There are more important things you need to do as a caregiver to get you there. There are more techniques and tools. And that's what I um, teach my caregiver clients. How can I get there? And at the end of the program, they have, um, I call it the, the personal assistant SOS with an extra S. That's how I call it for the rest of their lives. Because whenever they feel like, ooh, I am outgrowing this part or that part, they can always go back, look at their um, uh, homework or whatever, and apply it right away in their daily life. That's the most important thing that they should be able to apply it into their daily lives and not read 30 pages and then they are able to apply it. That, no, that's not how I work. Right. When I teach you something, you are able to apply it right away. So what, we have we don't have time to lose. You don't have time to lose. Right. So uh, what what kind of just you know without giving away too much? What what's a couple of techniques you would suggest to people who are taking care of someone and feeling like they don't have time for themselves? One of the techniques I teach is how to see possibilities and grab opportunities. And I'm going to give you an example. I've written about this in my book. My husband was on dialysis, peritoneal dialysis. There was a tube in his belly, so he could do the dialysis himself. So as much as he wanted to go on a dive, diving holiday, it wasn't possible, right? Right. So we really wanted to go on a holiday. So we had to look for other possibilities and not just say, no, we can't go on holiday. We found out that the snorkeling holiday, snorkeling was possible, okay? So we went on a, we went to a resort, I think it was somewhere in Europe and he could go for snorkeling. So that's what I mean with possibilities. It's not possible to do this, but it's possible to do that. So we started looking at what was possible instead of what was not possible. And I found out that a lot of caregivers don't know how to even see possibilities. And with grab opportunities, I mean, for instance, my neighbors asked me, Miriam, do you need me to drive you to the hospital? Do you want me to drive you to the hospital? In the beginning, I would have said no, because I didn't accept help. Right. Accepting help was a sign of weakness, but it's an, it's, a, it's an opportunity. So I grabbed that opportunity. Why? Because I don't have to drive myself. I can simply enjoy the surroundings while driving to the hospital. Or I, I can listen to music because I don't have to drive myself. Right. So those are some of the 
it seems like a little small thing, but it might be a huge thing for caregivers. Right. I can understand that. Yeah. So that's one of the techniques I teach and I talk about in my book. Uh, I give a lot of examples in my book and I do it on purpose. So people know what I'm talking about and they can think about their own situation. Oh, that's how she did it. So she's asking this question. This is my answer. So I can implement it. Okay. You know, so that's how it works. But my uh, program is live six weeks. One hour per week, live. So you by live, do you mean face-to-face with you? Yeah, face-to-face. Okay. I need awesome. to see you when I talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it works. I want to see you. I, I, um, I don't mind if you cry, if you laugh, if you... It's very important for me. I, am, I will hold you accountable for what you promised yourself. Okay. I want to see results. I want to celebrate all your win- wins, even if it's a small one. And with a, a small win can be that you took those five minutes to breathe, that you went out for a walk for 15 minutes, mm-hmm. that you did a meditation for 10 minutes. But it can also be that you booked a hotel <laughs> for yourself for one day. I okay. celebrate all your wins. And when things, when you celebrate things, it's more likely that you will repeat it, right? Right. So those five minutes will become 10 minutes, will become 15, an hour, because you will want more. You will feel better. And I bet that you will transfer your positive vibes to your loved one. So you feel like by taking time to take care of yourself and come back with the newly refreshed mind state or some more energy, you'll actually do better at your caretaking responsibilities. Absolutely. 100%. Okay. Now, uh, I mean, that's, that's a really beautiful message. And it sounds like it's a very valuable resource and a tool to have out there for people who don't really have anyone to turn to with caregiving goes. Cause you know, as far as, like you said, medical professionals, they don't have a whole lot of time to spend teaching you everything. So it's really awesome that you did that. Uh, Ashley, what kind of uh, advice do you have for people? What's the benefits of traveling and, and uh, what was the inspiration for your book? Like what can people gain from it? Yeah, definitely. So for me, traveling um, offers a clarity of mind, a fresh new, you know, experience, tasting different foods and experiencing different cultures and meeting new people. I don't know a stranger. I always meet someone new (laughs) when I travel. Um, And it's just it's nice to be able to take a step back and, and view something differently and maybe in a different point of view. Um, so that's a big chunk of my, my book is about some of my travels that I've been on. I've been to over 50 countries. So I feel like um, each time I go somewhere, even within the States, somewhere new, um, there's some excitement there because you just, you don't know what you're going to step into, right? 
Um, right. So it's, it's part of the unknown um, and getting out of your mundane day-to-day life um, that can be exciting and refreshing. So, yeah. Um, is there any part of the book, and this is just really a personal curiosity, is there any part of it that like includes budgeting for travel or like how to plan around going on a trip or is it just about the benefits? Um, so for, for this book, it's more about like how it benefited my life's journey thus far. Okay. Um, but as far as budgeting, I mean, for me, I, I don't indulge in a lot of like shopping. I don't have cable. I mean, there's so many things that I don't have because I want to buy the next plane ticket that I can. Um, so a lot of people, they, they're, they're always like, oh, you're always gone. You're always going somewhere. But I'm not going to go buy the new Jordans that came out. I'm not buying the new coach purse that just came out. You know, so there's, there's other sacrifices that I make so that I can buy the plane ticket have the hotel you know like there's there's certain things in the style that I travel by myself versus my husband versus my mom or family is different too right so I mean I can go on and on but (laughs) it's it's all about different sacrifices and what you what you want to sacrifice to get to what you really want Mm -hmm. something that my dad and my mom have always taught me is Um, two different things. One, you will always have money for the things that you actually want to have money for. Mm -hmm. And two, you'll always have time for the things and people that you want to have time for. So if someone says, oh, I can't afford that, or I don't have time for that, you can switch some things around if you really wanted to. Um, Now, that might not be the case for 100% of people, but for the most people, um, I find it to be true. Okay. Now, do you guys feel like from y'all's perspective, the, the medical community or even the general population of like the world takes the idea of self-care amongst caregivers and the idea of burnout seriously enough? Do you guys feel like it's represented enough or do you feel like there's a lot more that needs to be done? I think there needs, there's more that needs to be done personally. Um, I think with COVID and the pandemic, there's been a light shined on caregivers because it's like, whoa, like now some people can't go anywhere. So they're in the house with their loved one and um, having to take care of someone, even if it's for the two weeks because they have COVID, they're like, oh, wow. And you all do this 24 seven, like no break. So I think there, there is a light that's been shined on us caregivers, but there's still more like uh, specifically like the American government can do, I think for caregivers. Um, I'm, Miriam, I'm sure you could probably say the same. Absolutely. Um, you know, I'm first of all, I'm happy that we can share our stories via interviews, through interviews um, um, and lives. And it also goes here in the Netherlands uh, for the Netherlands, sorry, that 
I think the government can do way more. And a couple of weeks ago, I was invited by the Dutch CDC to talk about how can we, the government, do more for caregivers, especially family caregivers who are working, working family caregivers. So I was, I asked them, how much time do I have? They said two hours. I said, it's not enough. I need a week because I have so much. <laughs> I have so much to ask you, to tell you, to share with you. And when I started telling them what I went through, they were blown away. Blown mm. away like, okay, we have to do something for fam for family caregivers because they Family care, we family caregivers do so much. We do so much 24 seven for our loved ones, but we need time to recharge our batteries. Right. And it usually doesn't happen in, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. Right. More time and not everyone is, um, unfortunately not everyone can travel because of the finances you know right. uh, or other reasons there are so many parents taking care of their sick child there are so many caregivers who are taking care of a spouse even dogs even an animal you're a caregiver too right because a dog is a loved one for many people you know so we are on a mission and I know that um, by sharing our story, either via or our books or interviews, it will contribute. And I hope that medical professionals as well, you know, will, um, will know what caregivers go through, but because like Ashley mentioned, they don't have time they don't have a lot of time. And I don't blame them because they wanna help so many people, but it's necessary to know that caregivers need more attention. That's a fact. Right, I definitely understand that. What would you guys like to see happen? Like, would you like to see a government sanctioned or sponsored network of caregivers to like, or something like that, where you could sign up, add your name to a registry, and then be added to a list of available caregivers. And then that way, whenever you guys need a day off, they could send someone to help you, or you guys could sign up to help other people. Or, you know what I mean? Or what, what kind of system would you guys like to see put into place to help caregivers? So from my understanding, <clears throat> excuse me, um, respite care is available, but there's so many like financial hoops and mm -hmm. things that you have to go through and you have to qualify um, to be able to do it. So like, for instance, my grandfather was battling lung cancer and my mom was his primary caregiver with me as her backup. Yeah. But there was times where she just said, I just want a week off. Well, he couldn't, uh, his, with his insurance, she didn't qualify for the, the respite care for someone, a trained caregiver to come in and help. Um, so it was all up to 
us, the family caregivers. So there are institutions set in place for that sort of thing, but you have to qualify, which is hard. And, and most people, and they make it so hard to qualify. So it's like mm-hmm. most people don't even qualify for it, which is, it's pretty kind of sad. Mm-hmm. Um, so you would like to see it become more accessible and, and less yeah. stringent to qualify for. Exactly. And I don't know how it is in the Netherlands, if yeah. it's the same, but it's practically the same. And um, that would be a start. That would be a start. And then from there, you know, when a lot of caregivers are on their own taking care, they are alone. They are the only one taking care of a loved one. So it's quite difficult for them to find other people or family members in this case mm-hmm. who can help, you know, uh, as she was able to help her mom taking care of her grandpa, my sisters helped me take care uh, of my brother, his, his adult child, they also help. So that's, that's, that's great. But you, you have a lot of caregivers who are taking care. They, they are the only one taking care of a loved one. So it's mm-hmm. very difficult for those people to um, have some extra rest and take care of themselves. So right. this is also something I mentioned, the respite, the respite care. It's so important. Let's start from there and see how, you know, it, it, it can evolve. Right. Yeah. So... Uh... If I'm not mistaken, we're getting pretty close to the end of our time here. So if you guys want to take this last few minutes, run through one more time. Uh, Miriam, where can people find you online? Where do we find access to your courses, your service? Where is your book available? Tell us so, where to find you. Thank you so much for this. First of all, um, I hope that all our listeners have enjoyed all the nuggets Ashley and I have shared. Mm-hmm interview um i'm on social media instagram facebook uh miriam bowling my website www.miriambaldwin.com there's where you can find more information about my courses my program and my book is available on amazon on my website barnes and noble target it's everywhere i'm also on clubhouse Miriam Baldwin, and um, if you have any questions, please email me support at miriambaldwin.com. I'm more than happy to answer your questions. And one more thing I want to say to everyone, both caregivers and non-caregivers, please don't forget that you are worthy of a wonderful life too. We only have one life to live. Enjoy as far as you can. That's really beautiful. I appreciate that. And I've enjoyed all the nuggets of wisdom that you guys drop, whether the listeners do or not. <laughs> all right. What about you, Ashley? Where can, where all can we find you? Where's your book? Tell us about where to find your business at. Tell us everything. Yeah, definitely. So I'm pretty much all over. <laughs> My website is timelessdreamevents.com and you can read um, more in depth uh, my story with my husband, Troy, and how Timeless Dream Events came into existence. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Clubhouse, at Timeless Dream Events. All of it's the same. 
Um, you can find my book on my website. If you would like a signed copy, you can go on my website and purchase there. Or if you want your book in a day or two, of course, good old Amazon is available. <laughs> it's there um, available too. Um, it's available on Target and Bars and Nobles websites as well. Um, but feel free to reach out. Um, caregivers, non-caregivers, the book is for you. Um, anybody on a grief and caregiving journey, the book is for you. Um, definitely reach out to me if you have any questions or if you just want to say, hey, I'm a caregiver too. Um, I do have my caregiver group on Facebook, Caring for the Caregiver. Treat yourself because you deserve <laughs> to be treated as well. Treat yourself. Yeah. And I also would like to add that both our books have been Amazon number one hot new release. Oh. All right. In well. those six weeks, eight weeks that they have been published now. That's awesome. All right. Well. Thank you guys so much for your time. It's been awesome. This has been Real with O'Neill. Bye, everybody. Bye.